Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna. Sunday morning at 8 on News Talk. Yes, you can email the show aliveandkicking at newstalk.com or find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Claire McKenna Presents. Coming up this morning, on this very special Christmas Eve episode of the show, I'll be joined by Erica Drum to talk Christmas food and her last minute tips to see you feeling less stressed in the kitchen. And we had such a big reaction to Fiona Brennan answering one of your emails on managing family stresses over the festive season that we've asked her back to talk about navigating our emotions at this time of year. And Mike Viking, CEO of the Happiness Institute, on the importance of getting cosy and making memories with meaning. We'll be looking at how to embrace Hugo. So what kind of a health and wellness week did I have? Well, that's it. We have made it. No more plucking, preening, buying, wrapping. I am ready and very grateful to be about to enjoy a gorgeous few days in France with my brother. I think I mentioned during the year that he had moved there to a ski village to open a deli and a restaurant. So as he was going to work the whole thing, we've decided to bring Christmas to him. It's going to be a white Christmas, which is very exciting and daunting all at once. But I'm so grateful that along with my mum and my own little family, we're going to be heading off to make special memories, eat in my brother's new restaurant on Christmas Eve and hang out with him on Christmas Day. My daughter especially was concerned that Santa might struggle with our change of address. But I have been assured from the North Pole that all is well. I trust in Santa and his team to deliver the goods. Sure, he's going around the world anyway and we have given plenty of notice. I hope there is much excitement in your house. Really be in that magic if there is. And if there is not, we are sending so much festive love your way. You can email the show aliveandkicking at newstalk.com. Now, Erica Drum has been with us all year, teaching us to eat seasonally and to really enjoy the food on our table. Home cooking is such an important part of health and well-being and making that time can go from a chore to a joy. She's back in studio now to give her last minute tips for your Christmas cooking. Happy Christmas Eve, Erica. Thank you, Claire. Happy Christmas. To you, we're here. We are here. Thank you for coming in because I'm sure it's sort of madness in your house. Mm. Who is delegated the Christmas dinner? Where are you today? I am actually um, heading to Leash, where my partner's family is from, and he does the entire Christmas dinner for his family, but I will definitely be helping. So it's my first year away from my family. Oh, yeah. it's a big one, yeah, but it yeah. has to be done, especially when you have You have to a share the baby. Yeah. Oh, really man. Hard. So can you relax and let him take over or are you over his shoulder telling him what he's doing wrong? <laughs> he never does anything wrong, Claire. I absolutely can't relax though because, the, you know, my job is that I, I cook for a living so his whole family are completely aware of that. So when I'm there, it's it's I'm there to, you know, dig in. And and I want to as well. I enjoy it. For me, I, not that minding Stella is not joyful. I enjoy that too. But she's got her cousins there. You know, if one of the other parents takes over minding the kids, then it gives me a few hours in the kitchen. Honestly, it's my therapy. But... um. For others, I know it's not. <laughs> so let's talk about that. Yeah. So, I mean, people will have their shop in, I hope. Yeah. Um, although, you know, I'm here for the last minuteers. you know, whatever gets you to that Christmas table. But what are some of the tips you have for people today to make it go a bit smoother tomorrow? Yeah. OK, so so we're up early now today. If you're listening to this, you're, you're brilliant. You're in the kitchen with me and ready to go. So a few things I would say is clean down first. So I come from 
learning in, in kitchens and professional kitchen background and you always start with a clean kitchen, right? So clean down your presses, put away like larger pieces of equipment that you won't be using over the next few days to give you more uh, worktop space. Clear out your fridge, bin all the stuff that you won't be using, maybe organise it a little bit. I think starting from an organised area, it's brilliant, right? Don't worry if you haven't done all your shopping. We're going to talk about a few little recipes where, as you said, you can get in the local spa or centre or the smaller shop down the road with the less queues and the less frantic uh, shopping situation. And things like sharpen your knife, put on some lovely music after you've listened to this or stay listening here and chill out. It's it's supposed to be a joyful time. You know, I'd, I hate the idea of people being super stressed out. So try and enjoy it. Remember, you're creating art as you're cooking. So, you know, it is something quite relaxing, really. But preparation is key. Like, should everybody get their veggies ready today, their turkey ready that it just needs to be placed into the oven? What jobs get done on Christmas Eve? Yeah, I I think that's um, a great question. And ideally, it's up to how much time you have and how much time you want to be cooking on Christmas Day itself. But I I go in order of what's most important downwards today and just do your best to get as much of it done as you can. You could be brining your turkey. Some people do that. Some people don't. I, I think more people don't these days. But if you haven't brined it, that's a wet brine where it's steeped in, in a salted water. And what happens to it? Like what it, does that it do? It tenderises it a bit, but it also helps flavour go in. So you'd have uh, spices and stuff in your brine. You could have bay leaves and stuff. But you could do a dry brine, which would be like... Um, salt, rosemary, herbs, garlic and all rubbed on top of your turkey. Another thing which sounds a bit bizarre but keep your turkey uncovered in the fridge from now till till it goes in the oven tomorrow. Before you put it in the oven, take it out of the fridge as well. So, you know, it's all about timing when it comes to your turkey. A few hours before you have to get up and put the turkey on but one thing if you have the the time is to take it out of the fridge. You kind of want to bring it up to room temperature before it goes into the oven. The ham, I'm used to the ham going in water to take the salt out of it. Is that necessary today? Yes. So if you're buying um, ham, most hams are salted and smoked hams as well. Yes, that's a great idea. Keep it in water. You can keep that in the fridge as well if you want. Now we're limiting for space, so that's a hard thing. But it's cold. Keep things outside, make sure they're covered. You know, if you have an outdoor table, it's really cold. Everything's going to be okay out there as well. Over than obviously covered and be careful. Um, in terms of vegetables, I've talked to so many chefs about their spuds, right? Peeling your spuds and having them ready to go. Get a tray in the oven with some hot oil in it. Let the oil get really, really hot, okay? And toss those, um, sorry, once you've peeled your spuds, you can steam them a little bit. This is all today in advance. Toss those spuds into that hot oil and then you can let that whole situation cool down and that is ready to go for tomorrow to roast. So you don't have to roast them. If you don't want to do all that, you could just have them peeled and in a pot of water. Make sure your potatoes are always covered with water because they can go brown if they're not. So all the way up to the top. Um, But that's a big one. Peeling, like personally, I try not to go to too much peeling Effort, I, I leave the skins on in some things because um, I give them a good scrub. I find a lot handy. Even a roast potato, you leave the skin yeah, on. Yeah, maybe like down it now, I won't be able to do that. I won't get away with it. Maybe if it's just us, I get away with it. But yeah, carrots and stuff. I try to buy organic. I know we all can't, but I don't buy fancy handbags or, or lavish cars. I like my, <laughs> my fancy veg. Um, so when I am buying that kind of quality, I don't... Why, why do we peel it? Like it's just an extra layer of lovely vegetable. 
you know it's oh, nearly a waste I've never tried a yeah. potato now I do love throwing the little new potatoes yeah. just whack them into the oven and like have them as they are but a roasty I always thought yeah. was naked no, but we shall see we yeah shall maybe see. not this Christmas maybe not. Christmas is obviously something you don't want to play with too much so I'd trial it on an old Sunday roast first Claire in case you get in trouble but yeah it's, but they it's, would be big jobs done then because yeah. you're right people are calling mm. there's presents Santa's been there's all sorts going on in the house on Christmas Day so I think the more jobs you can get done that just need placing back in the oven definitely the better. So what about some last minute people who think do you know what I will do a starter what can they get in the local corner shop that they could serve up and impress with tomorrow? Okay so we were talking about smoked salmon now hopefully smoked salmon is that sold in corner shops these days but if you've gotten your smoked salmon or some people like to do fish as a starter cold fish it's quite popular but you mightn't have thought that far ahead of what you're going to do with it. So I love to get um, cream cheese, Philadelphia or whatever in the supermarket or in the corner shop into my food processor with some lemon juice, lemon zest, whatever herbs you have going, parsley or chives or um, something like that. Not Nothing too woody like your rosemary that you're putting with the main course. This is a fresh, light starter. And then half the amount of smoked salmon that you have in with that. So you're kind of making the smoked salmon um, cream cheese, you know, pate as such. And then I'd layer my smoked salmon into little cups, ramkins, whatever I have, with a little bit of oil so that they come out. Stuff them with the... So you're kind of making a cup. Stuff them with the cream cheese, close it over, and they can go in the fridge. And when you're ready to serve, you just pop it, like turn it upside down onto a plate and it will fall out where you can jimmy it out a little bit. And you've got a really fancy looking terrine as such, but it's it's quite straightforward. Served with some brown bread. I love that. Yeah. I think that would look really impressive to yeah. people. Taste it as you go. That's like You can add a little bit of horseradish if you wanted. You could add a little bit of um, mayonnaise in there as well. It's really tasty. Um, another few things like side dishes, say you've, bought your Brussels sprouts but you don't really know what you're going to do with them or your carrots or whatever so so things from the corner shop again carrots love um, orange actually and orange is a real Christmas flavour isn't it so I put some orange zest and some hazelnuts with my carrots roasted simply roasted or you can pan fry them if you want if you don't have oven space um, Brussels sprouts love bacon so if you've if you've got time to go down to the corner shop chop up some any bacon streaky rashers if you have a pancetta if you want to go fancy and fry that with your um, Brussels sprouts I love to put some scallions in at the very end when I'm frying my Brussels sprouts um, gone are the days of boiled soggy Brussels sprouts there's no need for it <laughs> and it doesn't do the Brussels sprout justice that's no. why people think they hate them yeah exactly but done nicely I, I think there's a lot to love about a Brussels sprout yeah. what about a Christmas tipple then Oh, okay. So don't we? Well, I particularly enjoy the flavours of Christmas, which is like, you know, cloves, cinnamon, orange, like I said. So for two versions I have is a mulled wine or um, a Christmas cider. So I don't know if, you know, if it's whoever's into what, which one, they might prefer the mulled wine. It's stronger, a little bit more potent, but really, really tasty. So the sugar in both or a sweetener in both, a bit of honey. Um, for the mulled wine, I would add some brandy as well, cinnamon and cloves and let them all sit, slices of orange. So the smell in the house. Yum. Like it's yum. I We have guests over on Christmas morning. Obviously, I'm not in my family home this year, but it's just such a welcoming smell. So I would always make that in the morning and then bring it back up to temperature. Um, and then cider, same kind of thing, same flavours. You could put bay leaves in there as well to give it um, more Christmassy spiced flavours. Cinnamon. And uh, brandy as well. I really like brandy in both those. I think it's quite a Christmassy drink as well. It's lovely. I mean, it's only just gone eight here in the morning. <laughs> so maybe wait a little bit longer if you want to see Christmas Eve through. Um, you are big on 
reducing food waste. And I think there can be so much waste at Christmas. So how do we minimise that? Okay, so my biggest tip is do a Christmas buffet, right? So the idea is less stressful for the host or whoever's in charge in the kitchen and being in charge also delegate your jobs, which I meant to say earlier. But if you do a buffet where people come up and get their Christmas dinner, and whether there's three of you or 10 of you or 50 of you, they come up and pick what they want and choose their amount. They can always go back and get more. They can always take the pieces of ham that they like or the brown meat of the turkey or whatever they're having and then they can come back and get more. If you plate it up for them, the waste is going to be massive, you know. So that's my biggest thing. The gravy can stay on the table, say, for example, and heat up your gravy jug. That's another tip for you before you put your gravy in it. That should be the last thing to serve the gravy, by the way. Keep that as hot as you can because that's going to go on top of everything. Um, But yeah, that would be my biggest tip because the leftovers of those items can be reused, whereas the things from people's plates probably go to the dog, right? The top tip of yours last year that I still use especially during the winter is heat your plates in the microwave you don't have the oven space just throw them in the microwave for a minute or two and warm your plates in there absolute top tip that I use all of the time love that you mentioned the leftovers there then I mean I don't mean to skip on to Stephen's day already but it's good to have a few ideas in your head especially if you're going to the corner shop today what can we do with the leftovers that isn't just hocking bits of ham off and making (laughs) sambos, which is part of the joy as well. Absolutely. We can make a savage sambo on Stevenson's Day. So uh, one tip would be don't forget your freezer, right? Because it's really handy to use, utilise our freezers for three weeks time or in two weeks time when we're like, oh, I'd love some turkey now. That's a great idea. But in terms of cooking a dish, you know, you've got your turkey curry, I suppose is kind of a traditional thing or a pot pie or something. I love to do, um, do you ever have chicken and broccoli bake? I think it's Yeah, love chicken and broccoli bake. Yeah. You know, a family winner. So do something like that with the veggies. So um, you can add in your, your sauce to that. So it's like a white sauce or you put a little bit of mayonnaise and a cheese on top. I also like to make things kind of Asian style nearly when it comes to Christmas leftovers so that I'm taking away from it being super Christmassy because we might be a little bit sick of it come the 27th, 28th. Yeah. So something like an egg fried rice but with the turkey, some of the bits of leftovers but adding in things like soy sauce or sesame oil, uh, scallions on top and toasted seeds. So there you go. Yeah, I love that because sometimes it's quite heavy that kind of food mm. and after a while you're like I don't want to see stuffing anymore I'm stuffed <laughs> so to bring in an Asian flavour I think is a really top tip Yeah I would say your stuffing for example is perfect to go in the freezer like honestly please don't forget your freezer it's so handy you could chop up your veggies and say put them in the freezer and in two weeks time make a really yummy soup from them you know like something simple as that Yeah so in the dark dark days of January and February pull out an L Christmas dinner just to please yourself on a Wednesday evening I really really like that Dare I ask what your thoughts are for the new year I'm not big on New Year's resolutions that involve like beating yourself over the head about turning into a a new person (laughs) but what would you like to happen as the year progresses in 2024? Well, personally, I'm actually going to take on Veganuary. And that is a challenge to myself, not not just for um, the health reasons of eating more vegetable, vegetables, but it's actually a challenge in the culinary department as well for me that I want to push myself and give my audience who eat meat and eat, eat veggies alike um, the kind of options and choices that I can show them and prove that we can make delicious dishes. So I'm going to do a eat... I'm going to eat for January, so vegan all month, but I'm also going to show a recipe a day 
to give us um, tips and tricks of how to how to do it because I haven't done it before. You know, I eat and cook vegetarian food all the time. You're a vegetarian, right, Claire? You don't. Mm, eat- I dabble in and out. Since okay. I had a family, it's just it's hard. Yeah, I mean, I'm just not going to make a separate meal just for me. But I would always choose. Yeah. away from meat where possible. So you'll have to come back in and tell us how you're getting on. Come in mid-January and fill us in. Where can people find you for all your Christmas tips and, and everything you do? I love that. Thanks, Claire. I definitely will come back in. And well done to everybody, by the way. Thank you for having me. All year we've been talking about seasonal food and today and tomorrow we are eating the ultimate seasonal dish and we don't realise we're doing that. So that's my big thing is to teach us about that. So find me on Instagram, Erica Drum. Ie, and I'll be wishing you all a Merry Christmas. I think it's too late to be giving you loads of recipes of starters and sides and all that, but I can give you tips and tricks all day long. So shout, ask me any questions. And happy Christmas to you and especially your little lady taking in all the fairy lights. Thank you so much for everything this year. Oh, I've loved it, Claire. Thank you. Pleasure. Happy Christmas. Coming up after the break, Fiona Brennan is back to remind us not to get hung up on having everything perfect this Christmas. Alive and kicking. On News Talk. You're welcome back to Alive and Kicking. Now, Fiona Brennan was here a couple of weeks back for her monthly answering of your emailed issues. The email address is always open, aliveandkicking at newstalk.com. And this time it was someone worried about spending time with family members and being somewhat triggered. We had such a massive response to the item that we've asked Fiona back to talk about how we can manage our expectations and our emotions at Christmas. Fiona, you're very welcome. Happy Christmas Eve. Oh, isn't it so exciting? I love, love, love this day. And you were here a couple of weeks ago and we had an email from a listener who was really worried about the few days with family. Um, So I wanted to revisit it a little bit because people can really be feeling it at this time of year. So that's who we're speaking to today, the people who feel a little overwhelmed this morning. Yeah. And to be honest, there are many and it's understandable, right? Because all of a sudden we've got this huge amount of things to do, right? If you think about it, it's all kind of coming at you, right? At once in terms of the cooking, the present, wrapping, whatever, you know, all of that coming at once. So essentially, like your nervous system doesn't know the difference, right? It could be Christmas Eve. It could be just a normal Tuesday. OK, so we what we want to do really is always activate as much as possible the safety soothing system within our uh, body, within our nervous system. And to do that, we need to pause, we need to stop and we need to reassure ourselves that everything is actually fine. Because even though it's exciting and it's, you know, people are really looking forward to it and it's happy time quite often. And there's, as I said, the last time I was on mixed emotion, people can be worried about loved ones, people can be grieving, etc. So all that emotion is there into, into this pot, if you like. So we need to stop, we need to pause and we need to say, okay, I am safe right now. Because on a biological subconscious level, this can be seen as a threat. The excitement and the mixed emotion can be seen as a threat. So how do we do that? Well, we need to actually implement mindfulness tools that intervene with the the sort of racing body and mind, if you like. So one of the tools that I've taught for many years, I use it myself, Claire, honestly, I'm doing it even now as I speak to you and I'm not aware of it. And that is the positive pause. It's a very simple tool that I developed really 
on the idea that between stimulus and response there is a space and in that space is your freedom. And that is not my quote. It is one that's very well known by Viktor Frankl. And it's the idea that we have, we can empower ourselves by pressing pause. So it's a little bit like the way I explain it is like you're watching Netflix and you want to get a cup of tea or go to the bathroom. You pause it. You stop and you have a chance to do that. So in our own lives, we need to pause and stop when we feel our system is getting too um, activated. It's going into the threat. It's going into the drive systems. And we want to bring it back into the safety system. So let's say, for example, it's tomorrow morning, Christmas morning. You've got people coming over, maybe, I don't know, at 11 o'clock. And then you've another gang coming at three o'clock and you're trying to get everything ready. And you, a lot of people put you know, expectation for everything to be perfect and you're feeling that and it's building. What you want to do is actually take a really deep breath and we'll do it here together in studio if you want to just take a deep breath. Imagining that scene, hold the breath, take your thumb and your forefinger. I am calm as you exhale. And the exhale is where the system feels safe. So you're just repeating in your own mind, I am calm, I am safe, all is well. Whatever mantra works for you. Um, but what you've done there is you've intervened and you've, and I can feel it now, like it's <laughs> it's working for me, um, is that you are cutting through that and you're saying it's all is okay. You're doing your best and that's enough. And essentially, like I do think, you know, Christmas, it's such a a wonderful time in many ways, no matter what challenges you're facing um, to illuminate what it, it's all about, really, and that is the love and the connection to our families, that they're here, they're now, and that's what we want to celebrate. So it really doesn't matter if the silverware isn't perfectly polished or, you know, the dishes are piling up in the sink. So what? It's not what's going to be important. You know, when you zoom out in your life, you're going to remember the moments where you actually um, were able to enjoy the time that you have. And I think that's what it's really about and, and getting that clarity and um, the positive pause will bring you back to that intention, which is to enjoy it with your loved ones. And I am thinking of people who will say, I am calm. No, I'm not calm, you know, and kind of answered themselves back. Yeah. But you mentioned Viktor Frankl there and he discovered this by going through World War Two and being in a concentration camp. And I often come back to it myself. I'm like, if he can find the positive, <laughs> if he can pause in that. And he did. He used to look over the barbed wire to see the sun coming up or sun coming That's down. Right. And people are going through all kinds of things. And I really do acknowledge that today. But we can always find something, whether it's just the fact that we are breathing and alive and have a roof over our heads. But we should try and let go of that perfectionism and trying to have the perfect day today and tomorrow. Let's just be in it, be present. Yeah, I mean, perfectionism is something many people suffer from. And it's just, you know, the, when, once you understand that perfection doesn't exist, right, that we are all imperfectly perfect, if you like, then you're, you liberate yourself, you know, and I think you're so right just to bring it back to Viktor Frankl that that's why it's such a good quote and that's why it really resonates is that he's coming from such a place that, you know, if he can do it, we can do it, you know, and it's very inspiring. And presence is really something we need to bring because 
I get reminders in my phone now all the time of the Christmas Eves gone by where the kids were really small. And I often say to myself, oh, my God, yeah. was I in that enough? Because it flies by. So even in that pause to sometimes be there, not be thinking about who's coming at three, not be thinking of what time the turkey has to go in or whatever it is to just really be there. If we can just take moments in our day today and tomorrow to really be in it. It's, yeah. it's such a positive thing to do. It really is. It's like you're you're kind of slowing down time, you know, so that it it's really soaking in. And that can only come, like you said, Claire, from presence, from a mind that is still, from a mind that isn't overwhelmed with too many thoughts. So the positive pause is essentially a mindfulness tool. So really, it's like bringing you back to that place rather than trying to get it in the moment. Like it's something that you have to work on consistently. It's not something like, I think Dermot Whelan, you know, he talks about like crisis meditating, you know, that, you know, oh my God, I'm going to meditate now. Um, but it, it's it's a skill, it's a resource that you have so that you can tap into it. Um, and that's that's where the power is. And you're right, it's, it's about really allowing the day to elongate. Yeah, definitely. And just really be in it rather than let it fly by. Uh, in just a flash. Well, I wish you and your gorgeous family a very, very happy Christmas. If people want to find out more, they can go to at the positive habit on Instagram. Will you come back in the new year and answer some more of our, our listeners emails? I'd be delighted to and happy Christmas to you, Claire, as well. And Thank if you, you want to get one in for Fiona, it's alive and kicking at newstalk.com. Happy Christmas, Fiona. And you, Claire. Thank you. Coming up after the break, Mike Viking has made it his life's work to study and research happiness. He'll be here to talk about Hugo, the importance of getting cosy, dimming the lights and making memories with meaning. Alive and kicking on News Talk. You're welcome back to Alive and Kicking. Now, Mike Viking, author of many books, including The Little Book of Hugo and the CEO of the Happiness Research Institute in Copenhagen, has made it his life's work to research what makes us happy. He joins me on the line now to talk about how this is the perfect time of year to get cosy for your well-being. Uh, Mike, you've got quite the title, CEO of the Happiness Research Institute. Tell us a little bit about what led you there and, and, and led to this exploration of happiness? Right. So I think it was actually 12 years ago now that I stumbled upon something uh, in the office one late evening called the World Happiness Report uh, that had just been published by the UN back in 2012. And there was a ranking over happiness levels in different countries throughout the world and Denmark was in first place. And I just started to wonder, why is Denmark and Sweden and Norway and Finland and Iceland always doing well in these happiness rankings? There should be somebody looking into this. There should be somebody creating a think tank around happiness and well-being. And then, you know, the next question, you know, was, was of course, you know, why, why, why don't I do that? So that led me uh, down the rabbit hole of, of happiness, in, and it's now been, yeah, almost twelve years. And and basically, the work that we do um, is is trying to solve three questions. So so first of all, we try to understand how we can measure happiness or the good life. Uh, secondly, why some people are happier than others, and thirdly, what can we do to improve quality of life for for people. Um, so I know it sounds like a magical place, the Happiness Research Institute, and, and uh, people imagine we have an, an office full of puppies and ice cream. 
uh, unfortunately, that that's not the case. Uh, it's it's full of of uh, studies, of, <laughs> of academic papers, of of data, and and, um, and basically, we're trying to have a, a scientific approach to to happiness and well-being. And what is the definition of, of happiness as you explore it? Well, we work with a, a broad definition of happiness um, that it is a, a sense of uh, joy, positive emotions, a sense of contentment with the life you are living, and an overall satisfaction and, and, and sort of purpose and meaning in life. So it's, it's a super wide uh, definition, but we can also see we, we established a happiness museum in Copenhagen. And we, when we ask people to write down on post-its what happiness is to them, we can see it's, you know, pizza nights, it's um, hanging out with friends, it's um, watching kids grow up and becoming uh, uh, adults. Um, it's, so, so, so happiness is a lot of different things. Uh, and we need a wide, uh, broad definition to capture all these uh, perspectives on happiness. Um, so it's an umbrella term that that you read different things into, and 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 it's it's something that we're used to in other arenas. If we talked about how how you know Ireland's economy is doing, we would break that down into growth, inflation, uh, GDP per capita, interest rates, and so on. And it's the same we do with happiness. We look at what mood do people experience on a day to day basis, but also do they have a sense of of overall uh, purpose and meaning in life and, and a satisfaction with the life that they are living. And a lot of, of those are within our control. There are small things we can do. But as you mentioned with the happiness index, sometimes it comes down to the, the policies and the society within which we're living. And I, I know you work a, a lot on on that side and, and what policymakers can do to improve happiness. But you mentioned the Scandinavian countries and I, I, I would often they're often heralded even here in the, the newspapers as something to work towards, uh, particularly the way the tax system works, that even though there may be higher taxes in some instances, all the public services can be depended upon. That makes a big difference. Um, a real lean into life in nature, especially where there could be be snow and, and getting out into that really plays a part and a role. Are they some of the things that you found or are they just the stereotypes? Um, Stereotypes, but also for a reason, uh, because you are right, um, that there is a lot of commonalities within the Nordic countries and and there are some things politicians can do in terms of implementing policies that enables people to flourish and, and lead good lives. I think one common denominator for the Nordic countries is that they are relatively good at reducing causes for unhappiness in part as you say through the high level of taxation and it's interesting you know especially if i talk to american journalists they will say how can you be so happy in the nordic countries you pay so much in taxes and i say maybe we are happy because we're paying a lot in taxes um because uh, a lot of the welfare services we we receive um reduce um unhappiness for for a lot of people so you know, uh, you know, in, in European, it's uh, in a European context, it's it's uncontroversial to talk about universal healthcare. That's that's not the case in the U.S. context. Um, but also quite generous unemployment benefits, uh, relatively good pension schemes, and so on. Um, that allows the the Nordic countries to to do well. And of course, they're not 
perfect utopias, um, they're doing relatively well. And of course, there's people in the Nordic countries that are unhappy as well. Um, and if you look at the, the other end of the spectrum in terms of, of happiness levels around the world, you see countries like uh, Afghanistan and, and Syria uh, reporting uh, uh, at, at, at the very low end of, of happiness. Um, but yeah, um, there are some things countries can do to improve happiness, but there's also some things, as you say, that are within our control. Uh, you mentioned getting out in the snow. Uh, that's uh, that we, we have evidence to support that people feel happier on, on, on snow days. And we have evidence uh, that show that when people are outside, uh, even though it might be cold, uh, they also feel happier. So, so there are some things that are within our control as well. How does Ireland score um, on the happiness index? Uh, I think typically you are in the top 20 um, out of a 155 countries. Um, so you're, you're doing relatively well. Yeah, there's a, there is a lot of anger and frustration in Ireland at the moment. Um, there's a housing crisis and it's, it's very difficult for people to rent long term, um, to get on the property ladder. And homelessness is at an all time high and it's causing all kinds of, of frustration and anger. Um, and I think that just really feeds into what you're saying about the policies that are there and how they can impact on, on people's everyday living. So I really wanted to ask you on to this Christmas Eve show because of your work with Huga. You've written lots of, of books, um, a lot of them looking at the very simple things in life like making memories and Huga. Can you tell us a little bit about Huga? Uh, I, I sure can, but first I must compliment your pronunciation of Hugo. So, so well done. <laughs> oh, yes. uh, so yeah, I, I wrote something called the Little Book of Hugo. Now, what's that? Seven, eight years ago now, uh, and and Hugo is essentially the art of creating a nice, warm atmosphere. Basically, what people are feeling tonight, or or these days during Christmas, where we feel relaxed, where we feel comfort where we feel sort of you know in our little cocoon protected from the outside um i, I think in the book i open with an example of where i felt uh, hugo where i was uh, with a group of friends also i think it was a december um spending some time in, in sweden in a cabin we had rented up there and we had been out hiking um you know once again outside uh, <laughs> in, in the snow in the afternoon and came back inside and sort of, you know, got the fire going in the fireplace. We had a stew prepared that we um, we got boiling. So those were sort of the sounds you could hear uh, in the cabin. And then we were just sort of relaxing with a with a glass of wine and enjoying each other's company. Um, and then one of the my friends said, "Could this be any more hugely?" Uh, and then uh, another one said, "Yes, if there was a storm outside, because hug is also this feeling of being sheltered uh, from the outside." Um, it's also been called a, a perfect night in. And I think it's also the reason why we saw a sort of surge in interest in Hugo during uh, the pandemic, because people were forced um, indoors um, and sort of, yeah, trying to make the best of, of a dark, cold uh, time is, is basically what Hugo is. And Christmas is the perfect time, isn't it? Because of all that dim lighting, the twinkly fairy lights everywhere. And we do tend to be kinder to ourselves. You know, we turn on a feel good Christmas movie. We bring a little plate of something to the couch. We're all cozy and we have low lighting. 
I always find it really hard in January and February to live without that. But the point is, we can bring this into our everyday because it really is simple things that can be recreated outside of a Christmas decoration. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and um, you know, I think you could, you know, Danes think of it as, as something that happens throughout the year, but we, we definitely use it as a sort of survival strategy for winter. You know, so so in in December, you know, it gets light maybe between eight and nine in the morning, and, and dark again between three and four in the afternoon. So it's it's cold, it's dark, uh, and um, you mentioned lighting is important. So so Danes we use uh, a lot of candles. And the rule of thumb in terms of of hygge lighting is the the lower the temperature of the light, uh, the more hygge it is. So candlelight, uh, light from the the fireplace. Uh, or sort of lamps in the corners uh, of your room is better than a sort of a white, harsh overhead lighting. Um, so Danes, we obsess about lights and, and, and lighting in general, and I think it's part of the, the Hugo culture. Um, you know, we, we, we like the dim islands of light. Um, um, so, so lower temperature. Uh, also in, in, in Denmark, we have something called Looking Grotto Fabulous, and that's the light you get from uh, the, the dim candlelight. Yeah, I think it's in my DNA somewhere. I have this down. I can't stand the large light on. Um, I won't enter a room if it is on. So I think I've, <laughs> I've got Hugo flowing through my veins. Well done, well done. But I think, <laughs> in I, some I think, way. I think there's a lot of similarities between Ireland and, and Denmark. Um, smaller countries uh, that sort of appreciate the sort of simple things in life uh, and sort of you know, a, a good bonding experience with with friends and family. Uh, I think that's that's one of the common denominators. But maybe it's not a Danish or Irish thing. Maybe maybe it's a human thing. Yeah, and you and you do talk in the book as well about as well as it being things we set up on the outside, but the inner work that we do, and that there's part of us needs to let our guard down a little bit. Can you expand on that a, a little more? Yeah, I think. Uh, I mean. Hygge in a in a Danish context will be something that is is more easily achieved uh, with people that you know really well, um, that you can sort of you know, as you say you know let your guard down and and relax. People you've known for for decades, people you grew up with, uh, family and friends, um, where you feel safe. Um, and I think it was it was interesting. I. I, I I teach a course for, for American students in, in, in Copenhagen and, and several of the students always comment on the sort of Hugo culture. And um, yeah, quite a few years ago now, there was a, a, a girl who said that the Hugo culture was better suited for her because she was an introvert, um, because she was used to sort of the American way of socializing, being with a lot of people and perhaps more fast-paced and louder than <laughs> that she experienced in, in Denmark. But being in a smaller group where she felt she knew pe- uh, people better than a, than a larger group um, just suited her better. Um, so, so I think that's why Hugo has also been called socializing for introverts. You know, it's, it's, you know, it's board games. It's, as you said before, putting on a feel-good Christmas movie. Um, so, yeah, doing, you know, relaxing things together with uh, people you know really well. I think that's what what Hugo is essentially all about. And I was looking at one of your uh, reports 
uh, well-being adjusted life years. What role does well-being play in our happiness? Because it's another term that people can kind of struggle to really get a clear definition on of what well-being truly is and, and how it impacts on our day to day. Well, I think, you know, happiness, well-being, quality of life, all of those are perhaps not perfectly synonymous, but but they definitely overlap. So we also use them interchangeably in, in our work. Um, but the, the well-being adjusted life years is part of um, a research project that we've been doing for quite a few years now, where we look at how um, health impacts your, your happiness and, and vice versa, how different diseases um, creates uh, an impact on, on, on well-being and happiness. Um, but we can also see the other is true. Uh, there are several uh, studies that show that um, happier people have a lower mortality rate. Um, so that's been done in, in, in the UK. Uh, I can't remember the, the percentage, but it, it's quite significantly lower the mortality rate is uh, among happier people. And it really does keep coming back to the truly simple things in life, even looking at the blue zones where people live longest um, and live healthiest. They really don't have personal chefs, personal trainers, massive bank accounts. They live very simply with simple daily movement, real focus on community and family and coming together to celebrate over food. Um, and, and they are things that all of us can bring into our everyday. Yeah, exactly. And I think it's, it's, it's good to be mindful of the things we can and cannot control when it comes both to, to health and, and happiness. Um, but there is, there is a lot of things we can do in terms of, of improving happiness. And I think to some extent, happiness is a skill. There are certain habits, there are certain routines, there are certain actions we can do uh, that helps us uh, improve well-being and, and happiness. In Denmark, we sometimes talk about the ABC for mental health, uh, and the ABC stands for um, Act, Belong, Commit. So doing something active, uh, doing something together with other people, uh, and doing something where you commit to something meaningful. Um, and it can be, it can be small things. Um, during the pandemic, uh, I enjoyed going out uh, to the woods with my uh, friends and looking for edible mushrooms. Um, so you know, we're outside, we're active, we're walking. Uh, we're together, but but we're also doing something meaningful, looking for food. And and I think being aware of situations where you experience that, especially, you know, experiences that are essentially free um, or, or low cost is very good. So we help ourselves sort of decouple wealth and well-being, which is another uh, key aspect of my work, uh, understanding how we can sort of remove the price tag that sometimes can be found on happiness. Well, I must say your work is truly fascinating. I've literally scratched the surface. But at this time of year, I wanted people to really focus on, on some of the Hugo moments that happen over Christmas and ways that we can recreate it throughout the year to truly boost our happiness levels, our well-being and hopefully from there our health and well-being and our longevity. And Mike, you'll have to come back on the show another time to delve a little bit deeper into some of your work around health and happiness. But for now, Mike Viking, author of many books, including The Little Book of Hugo and CEO of the Happiness Research Institute in Copenhagen and the Happiness Museum. Thank you so much for coming on and I wish you a very happy Christmas. 
So that's it for Alive and Kicking for this week. I'd like to wish you all a very, very Merry Christmas. And my thanks to my producer, Aoife Breen, Hugo De Silva Scott, who was on sound. And thanks as ever to you for listening. I will see you next week. Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna. Sunday morning at 8 on News Talk.